Our subject this morning is, uh, continues to follow the revised common lectionary and the suggested reading in the ecumenical roots material, which uh, I guess you'll be more familiar with than I am, is uh, Matthew 13 and um, verses 31 to 33 and 44 to 52, and, um, which Molly read to us earlier. And we're looking at some of the parables of Jesus in uh, chapter 13. And in verse 10 of chapter 13, Jesus, uh, it says, uh, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have it in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to you in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and would turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So the fact that we uh, understand the parables here this morning is not, or certainly in my case, a point of great intellect. It's because God has opened our eyes, hasn't it, by the power of his Holy Spirit, the gracious illumination of our hearts and minds. Because parables often speak of judgment. And when Jesus first came, his words were very clear, weren't they? He said he was the king. He proved he was the king. He pe preached the kingdom message. He said, here is now my kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He gave them all they needed to know about the kingdom, but they didn't hear. They refused to listen, and they wouldn't listen to them. And we remember back in Matthew 5 to 7, he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he'd given them some examples, like salt or light or birds, or lilies of the field, he would then explain the meaning. Therefore, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added. It's very clear what he meant. But when they hardened their hearts and blasphemed him he sa and said he was from Satan, then he started to talk in riddles, which he did not explain. And Matthew 13 records teaching. Jesus' teaching about a period of time that no one knew about. And he does it in the most simplest of terminology so that those who he wishes to understand will understand very easily. The purpose is to give assurance. He uses a field. He uses grain. He uses the birds and a road and thorns and the sun, the wheat and the tares and a mustard seed and a tree and leaven and a treasure, and pearl. He talks about a net. He talks about a householder. All these are very common terms for the people of those days, and actually 
common for us today, aren't they? A parable means to lay something in comparison alongside something else. It's, as people say, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a parable. And in verse 34 of uh, Matthew 13, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Instead, in, indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Even though we're not looking at all the parables in Matthew 13 this morning, we must uh, mention the others, if you'd excuse me to put it in context, because uh, we need to do that. And the first parable in Matthew 13, which Molly didn't read and you weren't asked to read, of course, is the parable of the sower, which we don't look at great detail. It's a well-known parable. You know it very well. The parable of the sower and the seed. He went out to the fields. He sowed the seed. This is depicting the preaching of the word, of the gospel throughout the world. Some people reject it. It falls on stony ground. Some people initially receive it, but the thorns and the sun will cause them to fall away. Some people will initially receive it, and ultimately it brings forth fruit. And what is the Lord saying? Simply that the gospel will be preached throughout the world. Some will hear and reject. Some will hear and accept for a while and fall away. And some will hear it and believe and bring forth fruit. The second parable is a similar theme. It's, it's verses 24 to 30, which also wasn't included in this morning's reading. And that's the parable of the wheat and the tares. A field, a, 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 a farmer was sowing wheat in his field, and whilst the workers slept, the enemy came and sowed tares, sowed weeds. I think somebody comes and does that in our garden, actually, because uh, I don't put them there. But, uh, and when the wheat grows, um, the, the, there is wheat and tares, wheat and weeds, that could ruin the crop. So you can't tear them out whilst the wheat is growing. But eventually, in the harvest, of course, the wheat is separated from the tares. And Jesus uses that as an example of believers and unbelievers, of true believers and false believers who will be separated People within the kingdom will be separated between those who are genuine and those who are false. Ultimately, God will barn the true and burn the false. Throughout the period of the kingdom, we're going to have true and false growing up side by side, coexisting until the final judgment. And so the third parable, and this is a parable about a mustard seed, which Molly did read, and uh, we all know about mustard, don't we? We all know about mustard seeds. It's one of the smallest of all the seeds. And Jesus, in verse 31, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it's grown, it is larger in, than all the garden plants and becomes like a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. It was planted in the ground and it bloomed and became a huge tree, so big that the birds could nest in it. That means that uh, certainly mustard uh, seeds, mustard trees, some of them are bushes, aren't they? Some of them turn into trees, but it was 
large enough. The branches were large enough to support birds. It wasn't just a bush. And the point here is that the church age will begin with a very small beginning, as it did in those days, tiny like a mustard seed. And yet it will grow to massive proportions, big enough for the haven of birds. And what does this say? It means that the kingdom of God will begin small and it will become worldwide. It will become widespread and influential and all kinds of things are going to come and live in its branches. It's obvious, isn't it? The fourth parable of the leaven, which is essentially the same thing. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was leavened. So the leaven represents the kingdom, it's clear, buried, as it were, in the dough of the world, which ultimately will penetrate and permeate the whole earth. And the parable shows that the uh, internal permeating influence of the kingdom, which touches every dimension of human life. The uh, commentaries say that three measures was probably about 50 pounds in weight, and that would have produced enough bread for 100 people. That's a lot of bread, isn't it? A lot of bread that lady was making. Um, I don't know whether you remember some years ago when the village day was on, three churches used to have a tea tent. We don't do that anymore, do we? We serve bottled water instead, but, uh, you know, I prefer a cup of tea. And I was dispatched, because we have an estate car, for about two or three years on the trot, I was dispatched to Humphreys to collect the donuts. And I would reverse up Humphreys Drive, which is now gone, isn't it? It's some, some posy women's clothes shop, which is no good to me. And, um, and then I'd close the boot and drive to the common with a, a, with a car full of donuts. And it's one of the best smells I've ever had in my whole life. It's fabulous, fabulous smell, these donuts that had freshly been baked. And uh, of course, we had. Uh, baked bread in COVID, didn't we? People rediscovered baking bread. My mum used to make bread when we were at home. And we had on our kind of neighbourhood WhatsApp group, I've got some sourdough if anybody needs some. And so we share it out, don't we? Because you need a little bit of leaven in your bread if you're going to make bread. Of course, these days, if you want to just smell bread, you've just got to walk into truffles. They don't, uh, they don't make it there, but the smell in truffles is fantastic, isn't it? So worth on a Saturday morning. And, of course, the Israelites knew a lot about leaven, didn't they? they, they when, when they left Egypt, they had unleavened bread. Unleavened bread because they had to make it in a hurry. Unleavened bread because they didn't want to bring the leaven from Egypt. They didn't make leavened bread for seven days thereafter. They started anew. They didn't share their sourdough like the neighbours in COVID. They started with new leaven because they didn't want to bring the so-called tainted leaven of Egypt. And it was ceremonial. And so the point is that a little leaven can permeate a great big lump of dough. And so the kingdom of God is extremely active, even though it's small, even though it's not visible to the world, like, dough, like leaven is not visible in dough, because it begins with an inner transformation of the heart. In verse 44, we find the next parable of the treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven, it says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, a hidden treasure in a field which a man finds and covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. 
So a man, he was probably just working in the field, and he stumbles across treasure. People used to bury treasure because they couldn't uh, trust the banks, and uh, so they used to hedge their bets by buying some property, buying this, buying that, but they bury treasure in a, in a field. Um, maybe, maybe we return to doing that soon. Maybe Nigel Farage will be burying his treasure in the field because he can't trust the banks. Who knows? But uh, certainly if an invader came through, then you wouldn't let him know where your treasure was buried. And this farmer, let's call him, was just doing his daily work, and he discovered the field, and the, and, sorry, the treasure hidden in the field. And he was an honest man, so he covered it up again. He went and buried the field. He didn't steal the treasure. And he makes a deal, and he buys the whole field and gets the treasure that he's looking for. What is that saying? The treasure is salvation. The treasure is redemption. And when it's found, a man does all that he can to get hold of that treasure. Everything. He sells everything. And there will be people in this kingdom, period, who will give up everything for this treasure. The interesting thing to note about this man and this treasure is he wasn't looking for it. He just stumbled across it. He stumbled across this treasure, but it was so valuable, he went and sold everything. He gave up everything to get this treasure. And there are many people who come to know Jesus Christ during this period who will stumble, as it were, almost upon, by accident, upon the grace of God. The next parable, you with me, is in verse 45. It's like a man with a desire to find a great pearl. In verse 45, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fight of fine pearls, who upon finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. He seeked and he seeked, and eventually he found the pearl that he wants, the pearl of great price. He sold everything and buys it. Just like the man in the last parable, he was willing to give up absolutely everything to obtain this pearl of great price. And the difference, of course, between the two men is one found it by accident. The other one was looking, wasn't he? He was seeking with all his heart. And the difference, that's the difference. And it tells us that there will be some people in the kingdom who will spend a great amount of time searching for the truth and finally find it. Some people will find it without seeking. Other people will spend a long time and a lot of effort endeavoring to find the truth. But both men who found the treasure, the one who found the, the treasure and the one who found the pearl, willingly and urgently gave up everything to, uh, to obtain the thing of greatest value. They recognized the value. And this parable emphasizes the supreme value of the kingdom of God. It's worth everything, isn't it? The value of the kingdom of God. That's how important the kingdom of heaven is. It's worth more than anything else. And that's why we deny ourselves to obtain the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul, who had so much in terms of qualification and worldly standing, famously wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the message of the parables is plain and clear. You hardly need me to stand here and tell you. 
And people find the kingdom in different ways. Some people find it by accident. Some come after, uh, find it after a long and patient search. But it's immensely worthwhile. It's a treasure. It's a beautiful pearl. It's worth any sacrifice to be obtained at any cost. And then there's the last parable. Verse 47, that of a net. It's a, a, a parable which... Uh, is a parable in which our Lord reminds us and warns us about hell. He, uh, we remember that in these parables, the Lord is telling us what it will be like in this period of history, in this uh, form of his rule. He is the king. He rules the world. He is allowing this period of time, good and evil, to grow together. And we saw that in the parable of the wheat and the tares. He's tolerant of good and evil throughout this period. But in the end will come the judgment. And that's why we've got this parable. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate from evil, separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But it's somber, isn't it? This parable is about separation and judgment. It's a parable about hell. And the key note in this parable, in, in verse 50, the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our Lord Jesus spoke a lot about hell. He spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And it's just as well he did because he warns us about hell and he is, he is uh, qualified, isn't he, to talk about hell. This is a story of a very large net. One end of the net was attached to the shore. The other end of the net was attached to the boat. The top of the net had floats on it. The bottom of the net had weights on it. And so then the uh, boat would go out from the shore and it would stretch out the net and then the boat would do a big circle back into the shore and as it came in, it would drag absolutely everything in, the living and the dead. It would drag in fish and other stuff, seaweed. It would just drag more or less everything in and then they would sit on the beach and sort it out. And everything would be brought in by that net. And now that's what our Lord wants to understand, wants us to understand. Two things. One, the immense size of the net. It caught absolutely everything. And when this happened, and the boat had moved through the sea, and this great vertical wall had come in, the disciples would sit on the shore, it says, verse 48, when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad away. Now, the central people in this parable are the fishermen in uh, verse 48. And they're lying on the, on the edge of the water and recently looking at this recently drawn in massive net. It's literally soaked and teeming with life filled with a conglomerate of creatures taken from the water, and then they begin 
the very slow, deliberate, careful, patient, unhurried, accurate, knowledgeable, skillful process of sorting the good from the bad. They sat down. It's something they did very carefully, very patiently. And this scene would have been very common to the people to whom the Lord Jesus spoke, and even more common to the disciples, many of whom, of course, were fishermen. The picture is very clear. And the principle is verse 49 in our Lord's own interpretation. So will it be at the close of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from righteousness. When a way we can stop uh, at, at that point. There's a lot more that could be said about that parable. There's a lot more that you could do with it. There's some interesting possibilities. But the Lord is only interested in one element, and that is the separating process that went on on the shore as a picture of angelic separation in judgment. All along in this era, as we've been learning, good and evil grow together. And God tolerates the evil. It's often referred to, isn't it, as a time of grace. We are living in a time of grace. That's the period we're living in now. But the time is coming when he will make a separation between those who know the king and are his subjects of the king and know Lord Jesus and those who do not. And little by little, imperceptibly and silently, the net moves throughout the sea of time, drawing all men to the shores of eternity with this inevitable separation. The net draws in all kinds of fish. The net draws in all kinds of people, indiscriminating in that it catches absolutely everything. And so verse 47 says, the kingdom of heaven is like that of a net. It moves silently through life, drawing men, almost without them knowing it, to the shores of eternity. And by the time they awaken to what is happening, it's too late. We're already there, and they're drawn to separation. Well, the same truth, of course, was taught between the wheat and the tares, wasn't it? As you go back to verse 41, you'd see the son, the, uh, son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the same idea, but the Lord repeats it. And now the only spiritual thing that the Lord pinpoints in this parable is the last act of the fisherman. Everything else goes without comment. And we ought to leave the rest without comment and just take what our Lord meant to teach. He spoke of the casting net. He used in the positive way to the disciples to begin with that they would catch men, that they would be fishers of men for Christ. But when he talks of this big dragnet, he's talking about gathering men for judgment. Verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age. When man's day is over and Jesus returns to set up his glorious kingdom, then comes the judgment. This is just a general statement that all the world are ultimately caught in judgment, to be separated at the end. And note that in the end, the angels are the executioners. They are the ones that are the separators. 
Just as we see in Matthew 24, the angels come with the Lord to act out judgment. Just as we see in Matthew 25, just as we see in Revelation, and particularly in chapter 14, the angels are God's agents of separation as we're moving closer and closer all the time. And this is the peril. This is the peril. Verse 50, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from righteousness and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this is terrifying, isn't it? It's absolutely terrifying. And, and to the point that I don't really like to speak of it. Zoe, Zoe gave me the reading so we can blame Zoe. But uh, no, we can't. It's an electionary, isn't it? But we hardly want to speak of hell, do we? If there's any doctrine in the Bible that we wish wasn't there, it's the doctrine of hell, isn't it? Who wants to speak about hell? And yet Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. God never prepared his people for hell. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. But people choose to go there to this inconceivable misery. And we say, how can we avoid hell? And we avoid hell, as we know, only by receiving of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. If we don't appropriate the kingdom, if we don't take the treasure, if we don't purchase the pearl of great price, there's no way out. And so Jesus said in, verse, in chapter 13 and verse 31, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to him, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who brings out his treasure, the new and what is old. The Lord said to his disciples, I've discipled you, I've trained you, I've prepared you, I've nurtured you so that you can be laborers in the harvest to warn the people. Now you are like a man who is a head of a house, the man who was the head of the house with his storehouse, and out of that storehouse, he dispensed to the needs of the people. And the wise head of the household dispenses the old with the balance of the new, a steward of everything he possesses. And the Lord says, this is what you're like. They know the Old Testament, and now they have the mysteries of the kingdom. They knew the old covenant truth, and the dawn of the new covenant was coming upon them. They could not only tell people about the Old Testament, they could tell people about the New Testament. In perfect balance, you are the household. God called you and trained you and prepared you to spread it out. It means literally to fling it out, to scatter abroad. So let's be encouraged. Let's be encouraged. Because we know, don't we? We know the worth and the value of the kingdom of God. We know that it's the most valuable and worthy thing in the world, worthy of pursuit at all costs. We know that the kingdom will grow and flourish like a tiny seed or a small amount of yeast. We know that Jesus is deliberately delaying the judgment so that as many as possible can enter the kingdom. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Too young, too much to do, 
Too busy to bother, too tired to change. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul?